Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. As I mentioned last time, once we came out of the, the narrative section of John and started getting into what is now the theology that the Lord Jesus is teaching, amazed at the fact that here he is just a few hours before he's going to be crucified. He only has a, a little while while these men are still awake in order to teach them. And he teaches them about the Trinity. And, and he teaches them what we've been learning about what he does through us. This is amazing. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 5 in chapter 15. And it was about our union with Christ. That everyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ is spiritually united to the Lord Jesus Christ like a branch that's united to the vine. In Ezekiel chapter 36, God promised to give us a new spirit and a new heart. This new spirit is interlocked with the Lord Jesus Christ's own spirit in us. Our spirit is a continuity out of the Lord Jesus Christ's spirit. Our spirit is now inseparable from his spirit. This is amazing. This is grace. And since we're united to the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to do what's pleasing to him. And verse 4 calls that bearing fruit. Jesus said the way to bear fruit for him is to abide in him. It's a word we almost never use in day-to-day -day language. So we had to determine, what does it mean to abide in Christ? The word means to just settle down. To make yourself at home. Don't move away. Park it. Stay plugged in. That's what it means to abide in Him. We abide in Him by learning what He says. We abide in Him by doing what He says. And we want to do what he says since we trust him and since we trust him, he indwells us. And since he indwells us, we're united with him. And since we share his spirit, we want to do what he says. This is not in the notes, but do you realize you cannot lose? If you're in Christ, you cannot lose. Because he's given us a new... Preacher Creighton put it this way 40 years ago. He's given us a new water to want what he wants. And as Ezekiel 36 says, since he's given us a new heart, this new heart, this new spirit, wants to be fruitful for him. And in verse 5, we're promised that all those who are abiding in Christ are bearing fruit. Not ought to bear fruit. Are bearing fruit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit was found in Galatians 5.22. And just like every great branch that's abiding in the vine is bearing grapes the life of the vine flows through the vine into the branches and bears grapes 
the life of the Lord Jesus Christ indwelling us flows into our spirit and bears fruit. Now, for every true Christian, the question always arises. How can I make sure I'm abiding? Hmm. Now, we mentioned that earlier. You trust him, and because you trust him, you learn what he says. You hear it taught, hear what he said taught, or you read it for yourself. And as I said last week, uh, we have to remember that prior to the printing press in 1450, almost no Christian had his own Bible. They were unaffordable. If there was a Bible in a church, it was in Latin. And you couldn't read Latin. So it just so happened that if you happened to be in Bohemia, where the Hussites were preaching the word of God, or if you were with the Waldenses in northern Italy and southern France and in southern Switzerland, then you would hear the word of God preached to you. You would hear Christ's words taught to you. Besides, 20% maybe of the population at that time could have read anyway. Mm. So we learn what he says by hearing it taught to us or by reading it for ourselves. And when we learn what he says, we do what he says. I mean, look at chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Hmm. We hear what he says. We do what he says. We keep his word. We treasure it. We guard it inside of ourselves. We love it. And when we sin, and we do sin because we're not glorified yet. We're being sanctified, but we're not glorified yet. We still have that seed that's called the flesh that still afflicts us. And to me, one of the greatest joys of heaven is it's gone forever. We will be like him. Just like him. When you sin, you repent. And we're told back up in verse 1, when you repent, the Father cleanses you. He cleanses us. It's all him. It's all our God doing all this. That's abiding. You hear. You do. You obey. It, it, abiding in Christ we're going to find is not some ecstatic experience it's not some higher level of Christianity above normal just regular old born again Bible believing folks no abiding in Christ is not something that you attain by long hours of unpleasant unbiblical disciplines fasting to extreme like Martin Luther did trying to find peace with God fasted to the point he almost starved himself to death that, that's ludicrous it's not praying for hours and hours and hours and hours when it becomes a drudgery and it becomes a grief to do it that, that's not how you abide in Christ that's Romanism that's not Christianity no, to a, and, and it's almost left this out. And the reason I'm covering this tonight is because I left this part out last week. 
It's not some navel-gazing, introspective fixation on our sins. In other words, have I confessed every sin? Folks, listen. The Holy Spirit is really good at convicting us of sin. He is very sensitive to sin. He recognizes sin. He will let you know when you have sin. He'll make it obvious. So we don't have to think, have I confessed every sin? If he's not convicting you of something, you're not guilty of it. Now you may, you may not be guilty, might, may not be convicted because you haven't read enough or heard enough of God's word to know what he says. But you have. So if you're not convicted, you have confessed your sins. Mm. No. Abiding in Christ is simply walking with the Lord Jesus Christ in fellowship every day. It's trusting him. Let me say it again. It's learning what he says. It's doing what he says. And as we do that, he will reveal his character through us. And sometimes, he'll give you opportunities to tell others about him. Sometimes they'll walk into your shop. And you have the opportunity to tell others about him. Sometimes it's the neighbor. You just never know when he's going to open up that opportunity to tell somebody. And the scriptures tell us, be ready always to give an answer for those who ask of you the reason for the hope that is in you. And we can tell them what he did for us. And we can tell him what we tell them what we know of him out of John. So whether those that you witness to receive Christ, or as has often been the case, at least in my humble experience, I witness to people in various places, and as one of my managers asked one time, where do you Harry? Where do you go to church? And I had to tell him Ashboro. That blew that out right there. So I don't know where Kim finally settled somewhere. But whether they receive Christ or like I said in my experience. They find out where you worship. And they want to come to worship where you worship or learn where you worship. And so they come in to our assembly. And they hear the word of God taught and they're converted then. Or whether they're converted by what you're telling them face to face there. Or two weeks later when they're thinking and it, your words keep coming back and the Holy Spirit uses those words to come back. Whether they're converted then or whether they're rejected. You're still bearing sweet fruit. Because you're being obedient. You just know what he says and you do what he says. And it's well pleasing to him. Now tonight, Jesus continues to teach us about abiding in him. And he gives us a warning. And he gives us promises. So follow along with me if you would as I read. I'm going to begin with verse 1. And then read down through verse 11. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Or vine grower. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he cleans it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Stay plugged into me. 
Settle down in faith in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, here's the warning, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, here's the promise, ask, what, <clears throat> ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, second promise, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. A warning, first of all. Verse 6. Notice he says, if anyone does not abide in me. He does not say, if any branch does not abide in me. We're talking here about the same thing we talked about uh, earlier last week in verse 1. About branches. Not every branch is a true branch. You grow tomatoes, you have branches. They bear tomatoes. You also have suckers. They bear nothing. You break the suckers off. Look like a branch, act like a branch, but they're not a branch because they're not fruitful. They bear no fruit. He's talking here again about the suckers. Those who have been connected to the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have benefited from the Lord Jesus Christ, but were never his. Never had faith in him. Never entrusted themselves to him. Never were indwelt by him because they never gave themselves to him. Looked like a branch. Just like a sucker on a tomato looks like a branch. But it's not a branch. It's a false, it's a, a faux branch. These are those who claim to be his disciples, but then left him. They believed in him for a little while. They believe facts about him. They, they believe the truth about him for a little while. But they never had faith. They never entrusted themselves to him. They, they never called on the name of Jesus as their Lord, whether verbally or in their hearts. They never received him as Lord. He was a great teacher. He was their rabbi but not their Lord. And like I said, we already met them last week. This would include Judas. Judas looked like a branch. He's no branch. He's a sucker. All he did was draw and use, draw off of and use the Lord Jesus Christ for his own benefit. And I'm not going into all that I said last week about Judas. The apostates of 1 John 2.19 we know that they were not of us because they did not remain with us. Now we're not talking about somebody that leaves a Baptist church and then goes to a holiness church, but who is truly born again. You follow what I'm saying here? 
That's not who he's talking about. He's talking about those who have abandoned the Lord Jesus Christ altogether. When, if I live long enough, and if the Lord grants us grace to be able to do this, when we finish John, we'll go into 1 John. And we're going to meet those people. Now he's talking about those who claim to be his, but we're not. We're old enough. I don't know. These kids on the front row may not be. Bob Dylan. <laughs> Bob Dylan had his Christian phase. You remember he claimed to, be, to have been converted to be a Christian. And he even wrote, uh, he composed and, pre- and published an album that had a, uh, a mast on the front shaped like a cross. One of the songs on there was, you've got to serve somebody. You can either serve the devil or you're going to serve the Lord. You know, one or the other. But it was only a phase for Bob Dylan. He even referred to it later as, that was my Christian phase. During the 70s, a pornographer by the name of Larry Flint claimed to have been born again. Yeah. But the problem is he kept publishing pornography. These are those who claim to be his, but weren't his. Something about Jesus attracted them, and they believed in him for a while. But when they had to count the cost of following Jesus, of abiding in him, they left him. Keep your finger or marker there in John 15, and go over to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Begin with verse 18. Will it help if I was in the right chapter? This is Jesus explaining the parable of the, the seeds. The sower, the seeds, and the soils. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. And the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Hallelujah! I want Jesus! And they walk the aisle, and they pray the prayer, and they get baptized, and they join the church. Yet he has no root in himself. In other words, he has no faith. It was all emotion. It was all a religious experience, but no faith. He has no root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word. When he has to count the cost. When Mary Flint is told, now that you belong to Jesus, we're going to find another business, another publishing enterprise. Maybe publishing children's literature or something like that. Or gardening books or something. No! No! No, I, lo- I love publishing pornography. I make a huge amount of money off of pornography. No, you didn't tell me I had to give up my pornography. You see? Just ask Jesus in your heart and everything will be fine. And then you try to tell them later. But you got to quit beating your wife. I'm not quitting. I'm not giving that up. You've got to quit cheating on your wife. But I love my girlfriend. No. No. 
when affliction or persecution within their souls arises because of the word, as well as affliction or persecution from outside, like what our brothers and sisters experience overseas. They count the cost and say Jesus isn't worth it. And not a branch. And then look at verse 21. Excuse me, verse 22. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. And the implication is he's like the one in verse 21 that he receives it with joy. <clears throat> and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful. Wait a minute, what's the definition of a branch that's plugged into the Lord Jesus Christ? It bears what? Fruit. This one is unfruitful. He comes, he prays the prayer. He asks Jesus into his heart. He goes through the ritual that the preacher tells him to go through. Just like going to Mass. You walk the front, you take the cookie, you drink the wine, you're, you're, everything's fine with Jesus. Or at least until next week. This will get you through until next week. But now this is a Baptist church, so he comes forward, he prays the prayer, he asks, the preacher tells him to ask Jesus in his heart, whatever that means. He asks Jesus in his heart, whatever that means. And the, so the preacher says, now, where's Jesus? Now, if, if he's got more than any, a, a modicum of intelligence, he says, he's in my heart. And the preacher says, don't ever let anybody tell you that you aren't saved. And the preacher may become an instrument of the unforgivable sin in that man's life. But he claims to be saved. See, I'm, I'm covering a lot of territory tonight. We may not get out of here until late. He, he claims to be saved. And then the worries of the world. You know, I've got... A, I want that house at the beach. I could take out a second mortgage. All I have to do is work over the weekends at the distribution center. If I work Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I can get in 36 hours, three 12-hour days, and then I'll work my regular job. See, and the worries of the world, I don't have time now to learn the Word. I don't have time now to do the Word. I don't have time to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have time to listen to the Father. The word. I've gotten a lot of trouble. And I will get in trouble again if any of them ever hear this. <clears throat> but I used to jump down the throats of railroad men. The young ones. Who for the first time in their life were making big money. And they were like my dad. When my dad <clears throat> was, when I was a, a, an infant. And my dad took all the hard jobs, all the long jobs. So that he could pay all the bills that I was running up for him. And these men... They'll, they'll take the long jobs, they'll take the hard jobs, and then they get some seniority, and then they can get into the money, and they're making money, and they start buying stuff. And especially to get that house at the beach or that house in, in the mountains, and they tell their preacher in April, well, we won't see you until September because we're going to be at the beach every weekend. My question is, and where are you worshiping on Sunday while you're at the beach every weekend? And that's when I get the hard looks. Yeah, yeah. The worries of this world choke out the word. 
What else? Verse 22. And the deceitfulness of wealth. Again, I can, if I just work on Sundays, I'll get triple time and uh, bop, bop, bop. And God ain't worth it. God ain't worth it. It's not that I'm going to work overtime six days a week. No, it's got to be the Lord's day. Got to be the Lord's day. That's, that's where the big money is. They don't have any time for the Lord. They have no root in themselves. They have no faith. He's not in them. And so they're cast out. They're not cast out because they didn't produce enough fruit. They're cast out because they're not branches at all. Mm. It says, notice, if anyone does not abide in me, and it doesn't have to be the, the worries of this world, it doesn't have to be deceitfulness of riches, it can be anything. But he just unplugs from Christ. How do you unplug from Christ? You just don't listen to him anymore. The, uh, those who are in 1 John 2.19. They were so devout and then something better came along. Something that was shinier. Something that was more appealing. And we don't need Christ anymore. We're going over here. Something that appealed to their flesh more and that doesn't mean just naturally lust or anything like that it can be pride when the Mormons come and they offer a different gospel and they say okay I'm unplugging from the Jesus of the Bible and I'm plugging to the Jesus of the pearl of great price the Jehovah's Witnesses come I'm going to unplug from the Jesus of the New Testament and I'm going to plug into the Jesus of the watchtower and it's I'm going to show, I'm going to prove to God how devout I am by keeping all of this religious stuff that the cults are telling me I have to keep. Faith in Christ? No, that just doesn't do it for me. I, I need more. I need more. And so they leave him. Mm. They may have had a religious experience. But they were never united to Christ by faith. And they walk away. The best example of that is the rich young ruler. He was sincere. He came, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus read him. And knew what his God was. You know, he professed to, to worship Yahweh. But what's his God? His stuff. So he says, say his stuff. Now he didn't tell you to sell your stuff. He told the rich young ruler to sell his stuff. Sell your stuff and give it to the poor and come follow me. See, that's the key. Come follow me. And you'll be saved. You'll have eternal life. Mm-mm. Nah. Nah, I, I, don't, I don't want it on those conditions. That's, that's too much. So, he left Jesus. And the warning is Jesus will let them go. He let the rich young ruler go. But there's horrifying consequences. And that is he's cast out as a branch. 
his separation from Christ is exposed by that. He's exposed as not being a true branch. He's cast out of the vineyard because he's going to be burned and you don't burn trimmings and you don't burn dead branches in your vineyard. They're cast out of the vineyard which would be out of the church if you will. He dries up. All the the influences of knowing what he knew about Jesus and the influences of knowing about Jesus wither out of them. And they gather them, we don't know who they are, and they cast them into fire and they're burned outside the vineyard. And we know what that's a picture of. Gehenna, the lake of fire. Those who made a profession but never possess the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. But look at verse 7. But if you abide in me, here's the promise. And my words abide in you. See, remember, it's essential for his word to abide in us if we're going to abide in him. We hear what he says, we do what he says. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Let me ask you a question. If his words abide in us and he abides in us and we abide in him, we're plugged into him, what are you going to ask for? Look down to verse 8. He tells us what you're going to ask for. My Father is glorified by this. That's what you're going to ask for. My Father is glorified by this. That you bear much fruit. That's what you're asking for. To bear much fruit for Him. He is in us. We're united to Him. We want to please Him. We want to bear fruit for Him. We've been given a new heart. We've been given a new spirit. And so we ask, Lord, use me that I might bear fruit for you. Now you are going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. That's going to happen because you abide in Him. You hear His Word, you do His Word. And the fruit of the Spirit is produced in us by His Spirit. And so you ask, Lord, I just want to bear fruit for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. That's the context for verse 7. Another promise. Look at verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me. And we talked about just as last week, so I'm not going to go deep into that. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Does, does, does that stretch your mind a little bit? Just as the Father loved me, I have loved you. Ask yourself, how does the Father love his Son? Well, I can't, you know, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. No, I can't do that tonight. Because I can't exhaust how the I don't know how much the Father loves us. I don't know all the ways the Father loves His Son. But I know this. He loves His Son exhaustively. Exhaustively. When He sees His Son, when He looks at His Son, there's nothing unlovely in His Son. Everything in His Son is lovable, is desirable, is delightful. 
to the Father. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us he's the, the express image of the Father, the Son is. Colossians chapter 1 tells us he's the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the Father. He's the mirror image of the Father. When the Father looks at him, the Father sees what he is. Whatever, everything that the Father is, the Son is. And it's all delightful and lovable. And the Lord Jesus Christ loves us exhaustively. The only problem is there's so much in us that it is still unlovely. And yet, He loves us thoroughly. In spite of the blotches and the blemishes that still remain. He loves us exhaustively. Knowing what we are. Knowing everything about us. And yet, he loves us as exhaustively as his father. And another thing, he loves us eternally. The father has always loved the son. Uh, from eternity past, they've been face to face. We saw that in John chapter 1. Face to face. The father looking into his son's face. The son looking into his father's face. And seeing everything delightful. And loving one another exhaustively from all of eternity. The Lord Jesus Christ as God the Son in his pre-incarnate state. Loved us from eternity. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He has loved us eternally. Knowing what we are, he has continuously, consistently loved us when we were lost, when we were sinners, when we were his enemies. He loved us. I'm going to do this, and then if I, if I regret it later, I'll regret it later. But you're here, and there's nobody else here. It's just you and whoever hears this. If you're in him, I'm having to say that for whoever hears this. If you're in him, if you're united to Christ, there's no way you could have been lost. You would be saved. It was guaranteed you would be saved. Because the Father gave you to the Son before the foundation of the world. And the Father is going to make sure the Son gets a full count. There was no way the, any of the elect would be lost. It was guaranteed by God the Father. They will hear the gospel and be converted. The Holy Spirit will make the gospel alive in their spirits. And they will come to faith in my son and be saved. I'm going to leave it there. Sometime in the future maybe we'll deal with it again. That's no grounds for pride. That's grounds for utter humility. That is all of God. Mm. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Stay plugged into my love. And you say, okay, I know how to stay plugged in to the Lord Jesus. How do I stay plugged into his love? Oh, he tells us in the very next verse. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. It's back to where we started. 
Hear what he says. Do what he says. Notice the word there is commandments, not suggestions. These promises are only for those who know Jesus as Lord. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. See, I've set the example before you. As I have kept my Father's commandments, as I have treasured and guarded and obeyed my Father's commandments, the commandments that my Father gave me, not suggestions my Father gave me, but the commandments my Father gave me, purchase these wretched sinners for me. And he's going to do it. He's going to do it. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my love may be in you. And that your love, your, excuse me, that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be complete. Say, so, but wait a minute. He's talking about commandments in verse 10. I don't like commandments. I don't like orders. Please tell me, what has the Lord Jesus commanded us to do? Do a study of the, of the Gospels. Have you ever found anything in the Gospels where he commanded us to do something that was just so distasteful to your spirit? Now, your flesh didn't like it. The only one I can think of is love your enemies. My flesh doesn't like that. My flesh wants vengeance on my enemies. My flesh is unredeemable. My flesh will be left in the grave when I die and it will not follow me into heaven. But everything in my new spirit, everything in the, the new man that the Lord made in the, of Harry Maples, I read his commandments and I'm thinking, it's good for me. It's good for me. It's like if you command me, Harry, drink this vanilla milkshake. <laughs> It's, it's not distasteful and it, it's delightful and he's already told us in chapter 13 love one another that's good he's going to tell us next week in verse 12 love one another that's good so he says I've said all this to you about abiding in me Abiding in my love, about bearing fruit, but that my joy may remain in you, be in you. The joy he had in John chapter 4, he's sitting there at the well of Sychar, and the woman of Sychar comes out, the Samaritan woman comes out by herself at noon. Women don't come to the well at noon. Women come to the well in the morning and in the evening. They come to the well in a gaggle. So they can converse. She comes at noon because they want nothing to do with her. And you know why. It's there in the story. And so Jesus is sitting there. He's already sent the disciples into town on purpose to get food. So they won't be in the way. And he's talking to her. And her eyes open, and her heart opens, and she realizes, you're the Messiah. And 
Can you imagine the joy in our Lord Jesus when he sees in her face her realization? And then she goes into town. And he's sitting there watching this lady. Left a water jar. Lady, you came for water. Forget that. She left a water jar. And she goes into town. And I'm sure she's not dawdling. I mean, she's hoofing it into town. And she tells the men. Why does she tell the men? Because the women won't have anything to do with her. And so she tells the men. Can you imagine the joy in the Lord Jesus as he's sitting there knowing what he's doing and he's watching her come up and all these men straggling out behind her coming out of Sychar to the well where he is. He's sitting there by himself. Well, I'm wrong. No, the disciples had come back by then because they asked him, they thought, why is he talking to a woman? Yet none of them had guts enough to ask that question. But they're sitting there saying, why don't you eat? And you remember what it says in, in John 4? I got food you don't know about. He's watching them come out to the well. The joy in him. And they listened to him. And they told the woman. We listened to what you said and believed. But now we believe because we hear it from him. And they asked him to stay there with them. And he stayed two more days and he left believers. The joy that was in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the kind of joy he says. I'm telling you all this so that that joy, my joy, may be in you. And your joy may be complete. Or you may have in your translation, be full. Let's back up. Remember where we are. We're still in the upper room. I chickened out. I didn't deal with uh, the last part of verse 31. I guess I'll have to next week now, now that I've mentioned it. I didn't deal with the last part of verse 31 in chapter 14. But I'll have to do that now that I brought it up. They're still in the upper room. They haven't left yet. He said, come, let us depart from here. They're still there. It's like on Sunday morning when we take our break. And we say we'd be back in 15 minutes. And what I, well, I go back out there and I try to get everybody back into the auditorium. And it's just like trying to herd chickens, you know. <laughs> and so I close the door on them you know, so that we can start. And then you, they sheepishly come in. They'll open the door and sheepishly, after they get through gaggling about whatever they're gaggling about out there. And they'll sheepishly come in and, and take their seats. You can imagine he's got... 11 men there says come let us leave here how easy it's going to be to get 11 men to get everything squared away get everything cleaned up and then finally leave now it's going to take a while before you can get 11 people to do anything but remember they're in the upper room they're about to go to Gethsemane he only has a few hours left to tell them all the most important things that they need to know before he leaves. They're going to be asleep in an hour or two because it's been a long day and they're tired. And he's taken James and John and Peter with him off to the side and said, watch with me. In other words, pray with me while I go further and pray. And he comes back twice and finds them asleep because they're worn out. He knows that's going to happen. He knows that in just a couple of hours, 
He's going to be arrested in just a couple of hours. He's going to be tried on trumped up false charges in just a couple of hours. They're going to violently mock him and abuse him and blaspheme him to his face. He knows that in just a couple of hours he's going to be flogged till he's bloody. He knows that in just a couple of hours he's going to be crucified. And all of the wrath of the Father on all of the sins of all of the elect are going to be poured out on him. And he is going to drink the cup of God's wrath for his children dry to the last drop. He knows that's coming. He's never experienced that and he's shaken to the core at the prospect of his father's wrath coming on him. He's holy, utterly holy, and yet he sees the wrath of God coming down on him out of love for those that are given to him. And he's not going to let himself die until he can say, Die. It is paid in full. And yet, with these two hours, two and a half hours, three hours at the most, he takes the time to tell us how our joy may be full. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Stand with me, please. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And we are dismissed.